Would you pray with me? Father, it is hard for us to look at Jesus on the cross. It is hard for us to keep our eyes open, and it's hard for us not to run and flee. So I pray that where our hearts are hard, that you would make them soft. Where we are frantic or restless, would you give us rest? Where we're distracted, would you draw us in? Would you help us to look and to see? Amen. So it's said that it's bad preaching practice to front load a sermon with nerdy details about basically anything. But many of us have spent the last weeks kind of swimming in the same nerdy waters of Genesis 1 through 3. And it's actually going to touch the ground in some really meaningful ways here. So I want us to walk through some things from the beginning, walk through some details that are going to help us to see this story of Jesus on the cross. To see what it is that God is doing there. So John opens his gospel with, in the beginning was the word. And we're all meant to see that when he does that, he's echoing or even alluding to, pointing to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there are going to be several times throughout the Gospel of John where John is going to continue to do this. He's going to continue to point to Genesis. He's going to continue to give us those little echoes. And that's actually going to continue and even ramp up when we get into the passion story. In chapter 18, uh, right before the chapter that we read, when Jesus is going into the garden, John says, Jesus crossed a brook and went into a garden. Now, if you remember some of those nerdy details from Genesis, you remember that the Garden of Eden is bounded by four rivers. Jesus and his disciples cross a tiny little river, a brook, and they go into this garden. And who meets them there? It's Judas. Now, another nerdy detail. John 13 told us that Satan, at that moment, had entered into him. So what do we have if it's not a garden with a snake in it? Judas is the snake. And if Judas is the snake, then John wants us to see that Jesus is this new Adam, a new Adam in a different garden. Now, all of this is going to ramp up even more throughout the rest of chapter 18 and then even more in chapter 19. I'm not going to give you all of them because it's almost an overwhelming list of things, but I'll give you a few. The Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve have tasted of the, the forbidden fruit and God has put this curse on the ground and given them an oracle of judgment, God says, Behold, the man. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. And it's at that moment with that guilty man in front of him that he removes him and Eve from the Garden of Eden, sends them into exile. Now here, Pilate, with the innocent Jesus in front of him, when he wants to say that he's not guilty but innocent, says, Behold, the man. God says, Behold, the guilty Adam. But Pilate says, Behold, this innocent man. A new Adam. Not guilty. Faithful and obedient where Adam was not. Here's another one. You remember the, the curse that's laid on the ground itself 
in Genesis 3.16 because of Adam and Eve's sin. Cursed horns and briars. Now look at Jesus' crown. What's it made of if it's not thorns? This new Adam doesn't bring a curse because of his disobedience. Instead, obedient Jesus wears the curse laid on the entire world. He wears it on his head. This mockingly put together crown of thorns. Or remember Adam and Eve after they ate the fruit. They ate the fruit and their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. They were ashamed. But here Jesus is stripped naked on a cross. Not guilty though, innocent. Innocent, but wearing a shame. Just this time, not a shame that belongs to him. It's Adam's shame. It's Eve's shame. It's our shame. Here's another one. Remember how Eve is made, formed from the rib of a sleeping Adam. Now remember Jesus and the sleep of death, pierced in the side. And out of his side comes blood and water. From his pierced side comes the blood of the covenant, springs forth a new bride, a new Eve, the church. Like I said, there are more and more and more examples. They just mount up. But I left one out because I want to focus on it now. John doesn't just want us to see Jesus as a new Adam. He also wants us to see who this new Adam is. In the beginning was the Word. He's the Word who was there at creation. The Word through whom all things were made. Now remember the end of the Genesis creation account. After God has completed his work of creation, after creation is done, at the end of the sixth day, going into the seventh day, the Bible says the creation was finished. God's work was done. And after he finished that creation on the sixth day, he went into the day of rest, the seventh day. Here in this story, on the evening of the sixth day, going into the seventh day, what does Jesus cry out from the cross? It is finished. It's a work of new creation. John is pulling together a story that he began at the very beginning of his gospel. In this man, shredded and torn and beaten on the cross, all things will be made new. Everything that had come undone will be put back together in his torn body. Right? Remember the crown of thorns, the curse laid on the, on the ground? You can see it. It's there. It's on his head. He's carrying all that was broken in this cursed creation on himself. Remember the nakedness? He was mocked and beaten, and there he is naked on the cross, wearing the shame of others, the shame of Adam and Eve, our shame on the cross. So between the brokenness of creation, humanity's shame and guilt, 
or just the sheer irony of beating the devil at his own game, you see that his work here, his work that's finished here, is comprehensive. If you want another nerdy detail, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that word for world there is cosmic. This work that has been done is cosmic. It is finished here means the same thing that it meant in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, the old creation was finished. But here in Jesus' body, the new creation is complete. Now, like I said, the cosmos, huge, gigantic, almost abstract-sounding vision of the complete victory of God in the remaking of all things. And it's beautiful. But we can't leave it at that. We want us to finish by just narrowing the scope. Yeah, we want to see how big it is, but also let's pull it down a little bit closer so we can see the smaller, the nearer things that are finished in Jesus. Maybe, for example, you keep finding yourself falling into the same sin over and over again. Maybe you are angry, frustrated, you hate this hypocritical cycle of kind of half-hearted confession and half-hearted repentance. It makes you feel like sin has a hold on you that will never let go, something that you'll never escape from. That's a feeling that I know. But there on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Is your heart hard? Do you struggle to hear God's word and not just believe, just even to care? Do you want to be near him or to see him or to hear him, but you just can't take your eyes off of all the distractions that the world throws at you? Even there, Jesus says, it is finished. Or maybe you are waiting for something that you have longed for something that you ache for, that you prayed for, something that even God himself has taught you to desire and to want, something good. Does that waiting and that longing hurt? Jesus says it is finished. Have you lost someone that's close to you? Does that missing piece in your life feel like a wound that can't ever heal? Are you afraid of death? And does that cloud your vision of everything? Jesus says it is finished. Do you grieve over all the ways that sin has fractured your relationships? The people that you wish you had the nerve to reconcile with? Friends and family that you love that have betrayed you? Or even people close to you that you've hurt? Do you ache to see those wounds healed? Do you long to see those relationships made new? That's the feeling Jesus knows. And Jesus says it is finished. You're just tired. You're just tired of tasks that mount up on each other and work that just multiplies itself and gives you no promise of rest. Here on the sixth day, going into the seventh, Jesus says it is finished.
Are you ashamed of the things that make you feel inadequate? Are you anxious about the things that you can't control? Are you scared that there are holes in your character that are secrets now but won't be secrets tomorrow? Longing for the approval of others because that's like the only balm for your heart? For all of those things, Jesus says it is finished. Or it could just be that I'm projecting all of this onto all of you and you have your own thing. Whatever it is. Christ has carried it and every other evil into the grave with him. This is new creation. And Jesus says, it is finished. I know that all of those things still, they still hurt. They still torment us. They're not the kind of thing that you can just blow away like it's the steam from a bowl of soup. Still, don't forget. Jesus had to be beaten and whipped before he could say that on Good Friday. And even after this, he has to pass through Holy Saturday to get to Easter Sunday. And like Jesus said to his disciples over and over again, follow me, you have to take up your own cross. Following him, in other words, just doesn't mean that those hurts will go away, even though they are finished in him. But what we are sent to do, called to do, is to cling to what we know is true. 